welcome to Shrink Wrap, a podcast where Fran and Becky give proper respect to various mental health and wellness topics while adding in a little bit of smart assery that they just can't seem to contain. This podcast cannot and does not constitute therapy advice. However, we do hope that you find the information we share with you helpful and entertaining. Please be advised that this podcast discusses topics that can be sensitive to some listeners. Use appropriate discretion. Welcome to Shrink Wrap. Today's episode is about grief, but first we are going to start with a fun factoid. So according to clinical psychological science, this is going to be shocking, I'm sure. (laughs) Sleep, Sleep deprivation impairs people's ability to push away unwanted or unpleasant thoughts. And you know what I thought about? I thought about nursing my babies, each one for one year each. And in that year, I slept like two hours a night for like a continuous year. And then this is random. But then I thought about, oh, my God, I got to wean this baby. Did you nurse? I did. Okay. Do you remember weaning? You got to put cabbage in your bra. Okay. Now that pisses me off because my husband had a vasectomy and they Mm -hmm. gave him more drugs known to God and man Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that's what they told me. Stick cabbage in your bra. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's 90 degrees. Smell like sauerkraut. It's the summer. (laughs) I'm going to go to work and people are going to be like, oh my God, suddenly I have a a craving. craving craving a Reuben. (laughs) Yes. And I'm going to like stick vegetables in my bra. Do they please tell me they still don't do that for women? They do still do that. To the best, I mean, I haven't nursed a baby in 15 years, but to the best of my knowledge, yeah. I think that I don't think they do. You don't? I mean, my wife nursed a baby as little as three years ago, and I've never, this is news to me, I've never heard this. It helps with the inflammation and pain from engorged breasts. And I Oh, it worked. No, it worked great. Okay, well, great. Then you smelled like a sandwich. I I was not going to go there. I smelled disgusting, but it did work, yes. No, didn't want to do that. Anyway, the reason this this factoid ties in with our episode is because people that are grieving do not sleep sometimes. And so Mm -hmm. it makes it much harder for them to not keep going over and over about their grief and what happened and that kind of thing. And just replaying it and replaying it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And sleep, I think when you're not sleeping, it just messes with everything. And so when you already have something as intense as grief and then you're not sleeping, like... Yeah. Um, So a lot of people are familiar with the five stages of grief um, being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I think one of the, the, the misunderstood things about it is they think it's a progression. So it's like, oh, I'm not in denial anymore. So whew, check that box. Right. Yeah. Um, but really what we've come to find is it's more like you kind of bebop around. Mm-hmm. And so you might be angry one day and then the next day in denial and then a week later back to anger and everything right. in between. Yeah. It's not necessarily linear by any means. No, no. I watched a workshop by David Kessler and this book I highly recommend. It is a, one of those books that I've read many times. I have given it to my kids because it's a, it's just profound. It's called life lessons and it's written by David Kessler and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. It's a lot of just deep sort of meaning kind of thing, but it's beautifully written Um, David Kessler also has a site called grief.com and there's a free button for free resources if you need help with stuff. Yeah. But he added a stage to grief and the last stage is called meaning. And I love that stage. I do too. Yeah. I really think that helps people have some kind of closure to the process. Right. Yeah. As much as we hate the word closure because it's so cliche, it's that's, it really does describe what, what giving meaning to something is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about when, when people talk about grief, I think they think of, um, you know, when somebody dies, so like a physical loss Mm -hmm. and really in our practice, I would say we see all sorts of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind for me is divorce. And so you can, you know, people go through the stages of, of grief with a divorce and they're like, why am I grieving this? Especially if I'm seeing the person, who, um, you know, wasn't happy in the marriage. And they're like, I, this marriage wasn't good. Why am I grieving it? And so I like to explain to them, you're not grieving the marriage that's ending today. You're grieving the marriage that started last year, five years, 40 years ago, or, and, or the marriage that you really hoped it would be. And then never turned out to be that. Or the family unit. You're grieving the family. 
the loss of, yeah, we're not all going to be under the same roof. Even if your spouse, soon to be ex-spouse is a horrible human, you're still going to grieve the loss of that. Right. Yeah. And then you can grieve. Oh, I love when we talk about grieving miscarriage. This is something that just irritates me beyond belief. Um, when people say, oh, well, at least you weren't that far along. Oh, what the actual hell? Ugh. Because I tell people, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and I mm-hmm. even think, Brody, from a man's point of view, the minute you find out you're expecting, mm-hmm. you have them graduating college, and they're going to be, you know, neurophysicists that, you know, cure cancer, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. You just have this dream right. from the minute you find out you're pregnant. And so I don't think... If you miscarry at two weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it might be, I don't think there's ever a good time. No. You're like, oh, thank God. I was only, you know, two months attached. What? I know. And that's something we're going to talk about later is like, what do you tell people that are grieving yeah. and what do you and not? what don't you, uh, how to shut your mouth. And you can, you can grieve a job. You can grieve, um, let's say you have a child, but they have special needs. And so you can grieve the, the loss of what you thought this child was going to be right. again, you know, quote unquote normal, whatever that is. Um, and that doesn't mean you love your special needs child any less. It's just like, this isn't what I had in my head when I thought about about it, you know, I'm going to adjust, but yeah. Or when we see people in abusive relationships and that's heartbreaking. I know over the years we've seen parents who have been in our office saying, you know, my son, my daughter is in an abusive relationship. We're not allowed to contact them. We don't know if they're safe. We don't know if they're well. And this is, it's driving us bananas. The isolation. Oh yeah. Just grieving over having that day-to-day contact with your adult kid. Right. Oh God. I saw a movie once. Remember, did you guys ever see that one with Angelina Jolie? I think it was called the changeling or something like that, where her kid was kidnapped. Oh shit. The whole, I couldn't even barely get through it. The Mm -hmm. whole movie was her obsessively searching for that kid. And that kind of grief is unending. I mean, it's your whole life. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's just wicked. Prisoners with Hugh Jackman is another one. Another Prisoners with Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Very oh, good movie. I like yeah. those two. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not bad to look at either if you're going to oh, watch a movie. A little eye candy <laughs> for the Baxter. <laughs> he can't sing, though. His vibrato makes me literally want to bore a hole into my brain. Which one? Hugh? Hugh. Oh, okay. Oh. Better than Russell Crowe. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, grief can also manifest itself in PTSD mm-hmm. and, you know, a terrible car accident or that kind of thing. I just watched the movie land with Robin Wright. Remember her? She was married to Sean. Yeah. Penn. She was in the princess bride. She was in the princess. Yeah. That's my wife's favorite little yeah. factoid. Whenever that was, I, I don't recognize Butter, her at all, but Buttercup, I think. yeah, she yeah. was princess Buttercup. And she go, oh, oh, that's Robin Wright. <laughs> she was in the princess bride. Yes. And so that movie really depicts her having grief, but also PTSD. Okay, good. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How I can those really like two, do they play off of each other, do you think? the Yeah, the diagnoses. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They can play off each other because, I mean, straight grief is a lot different than having nightmares and having flashbacks. And mm-hmm. a lot of times if there's a traumatic death, like a car accident or an explosion or In something like that. In our neck like of the that, woods, farm accidents. Right. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Then it can trigger. Right. Because then your diagnostic criteria for PTSD is, you know, you or someone you are close to or nearby is either killed or you had good reason to believe they their life was in danger. Right. And so I could see where, okay, my husband dies in a car accident that I was there. Okay, knock on wood. That's horrible. Um, and I live. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to have some PTSD with that one. So what do you think about like people medicating their grief? You know, that's such a tricky one. Um, I think I really, as a, as a professional, I take that case by case, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. If there is zero amount of functioning, then I think it's okay to do like a really low dose of something. Okay, what do you mean zero functioning? Like they, I would call it complicated grief, maybe, where there is just um, what, you might, what you might consider traditional severe depression. Mm-hmm. We're not showering, we're not being able to go to work. And I'm not talking a few days after the loss, but we're talking weeks after the loss. And yeah. there's really no forward progress. Mm-hmm. Then maybe. Um, but for the most part, I think that if you start medicating during grief, Mm -hmm. you run the risk of being stuck. Right. Because you don't feel your feelings. Yeah. And they don't go anywhere. Right. So when the medication stops, boom. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I unfortunately, I mean, good and bad, I had um, three wonderful fathers in my life. I had my biological father, my stepfather, and then my father-in-law. And all three of those guys had to leave me. All of them. I know it. I know it. They're obviously selfish. You know, but (laughs) the way that I picture it is that, and I don't know if it's true or not, maybe it's my own little happy fantasy world, but I talk to them every single day. They are my holy trinity of guardian angels. Yeah. And so also when I pray for my kids, I'm like, okay, dad, number one, you, this son of mine is traveling right now. You need to get on that. Yep. Um, That's how I stay connected with them. Yeah. But I can honestly tell you, whoever said you're over it in a year was like high on math or something. Absolutely. No, that is ridiculous. And, you know, I, I think I'd blame it on my German roots. Mm-hmm. And so somebody you love dies and then three days later you have the funeral and then you have to be over it, right? Because mm-hmm. they're dead and gone. Right. Get so out with your life. So what's the point? Yeah. Yep. Go to work. Go to work. Go do something. Um, bake a casserole or a jello mold. Um, <laughs> but in grad school, um, I had a mentor who was Native American, and he taught me um, at least the tribe that he was raised in, where it's a three-year process. Mm. And I just fell in love with it. So you have one year of intense grief, which from a counseling perspective makes sense because it's your year of firsts, right? Right. And then you have two more years where people just accept that you are grieving. Mm. And then at the end of the third year, you have a ceremony. I mean, it's almost like a celebration of the one who's passed, like a celebration of their life mm-hmm. and their death, right. because now they're off wherever your belief system says they're off to. Yeah. And I, I mean, I got to say, I think it, it goes on. I mean, my dad passed away when I was in college and I can tell you, I could be watching a movie now and something will trigger it. And I just have a sadness and cry. Yeah. But it's like, it's not like you feel that intense searing pain, like when it first happens. Yeah. I would agree with that. I know it's been 11 years since one of my dearest friends died by suicide Mm. and um, yeah, February 18th, 2010, and I'll remember it forever. Mm -hmm. We were actually the following weekend supposed to have a girl's weekend. It was her and I, and there was another friend of mine and the three of us would get together a few times a year and the husbands would get kicked out and we would just be stupid. And um, so she killed herself. She died by suicide. I hate the term killed herself. Mm -hmm. Um, I also don't like the term committed suicide because it makes it sound like a criminal act and I'm not about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my, my mom and dad were here for a visit and, um, I remember I, I thought this is what it feels like when your heart breaks, mm-hmm. like it was so physical and I was in the shower bawling. Cause of course I didn't want everybody to hear me crying. And then, um, I know we're going to talk about like what happens and what you're supposed to do, but I have to tell you what my dad did at Captain German. So we went to a Northern basketball game cause he loved going to Northern basketball games and I'm just sitting there and I'm seeing nothing. Yeah. I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck? My best friend is dead. Right. And, uh, he's like, uh, uh do you want some Culver's? <laughs> They've got that ice cream over there. And I'm like, dad, I don't want any ice cream. No, no, no. Let's go get you some ice cream. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I want Melissa back. I don't want freaking custard Just right now. Just eat the custard. <laughs> but, you know, I really appreciated the spirit in which he was saying right. that. His little girl was hurting and he yeah. just wanted to give her some ice cream. Which is sweet. <laughs> it's very sweet. It's very sweet. And yeah. that is why you just don't know what to do sometimes. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, with grief, when we honor someone where they're at and we don't rush them along. You know, David yeah. Kessler basically says the first year, don't try to fix anything. Don't no. try to fix it. Just honor where they are at, allow them to express their feelings and listen to their feelings. Yeah. So, you know, let's go get the custard or let's mow the lawn, you know, not so much, right. but to just say, you know, you are really hurting right now. How can I help you? What do you need from me? What do I? Yes, exactly. And also one of the things he suggests later that I freaking love was, um, at the funerals with my fathers, when people would come up and they'd be like, I want to tell you what I remember about your dad. It would just warm my heart because some of those memories I had never heard. And so it was like another gift. It was so beautiful. I think that's one of the best things you can do. I think it is. And forever. Like not just at the funeral, but I think we're afraid like, oh, I don't want to bring up the dead person's name because I don't want to make them cry. Well, first of all, they're probably crying off and on anyway. So don't worry about that. Yeah. And if they cry, it's okay. It's just water coming out their eyes. It doesn't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it just speaking their name lets them know that that person is still, their memory is still out there. Yes. It's It's a beautiful way to honor that person. And it's so... 
Um, it's just so meaningful to someone who's lost someone. Yeah, I agree. It, which is a good time. I'm going to take a semi break here. Um, when you read our Canva posts and yeah. there are typos, you're welcome. Um, I'm the one that does those and I call creative spelling. And so screw y'all if you don't like it. Okay. I think it's very endearing and I'm always the one calling her. You misspelled something, but I, I think it's sweet. And then I look at it. I'm like, how many times did I look at that and not see it? Okay. Survivor's guilt. Yes. There we go. Annunciation. Um, Where do we see survivor's guilt? Where do you see it? Oh, especially like if two women, let's say that it's a a woman and her sister-in-law, they're both pregnant at the same time. They're both super excited about it, right? One lose the baby. The other one now has a healthy birth process. Yep. Oh my God. She doesn't want to tell the other person. I just went to my checkup and everything looks great. And we found out it's a boy and it's like, oh, such guilt for real. Or if you're, you know, your sister and your sister-in-law and you're both trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And of course there's always one person that gets pregnant the night of like, Hey, let's try. Oh, whoops. We're pregnant. That's awesome. And then they're trying for years. Right. Yeah. Yep. And of course, war veterans. I don't see a lot of those clients myself, but I can imagine that is huge for PTSD war veterans. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, The I do work with the Given Hour Association, and that's where, as a therapist, you can donate an hour a week um, to provide counseling to veterans and their families free of charge. Mm -hmm. And it does, you know, they're affected in ways that we'll never ever imagine. Right. And just giving them a place to talk about that because they do have survival, you that know. so kind of you to do that. Well, thank you. You are a kind human. Well, thank you. Yeah. I try to be. Yeah, and I, I just, I could never serve. I'm going to be real open with mm-hmm. that. I couldn't do it. Right. And so if I can help that way, definitely. And if you're if you're listening out there, check it out. It's givenhour.org. Find somebody near you. But I see it with that. I also see, um, I've seen it with COVID actually. You know, if somebody has lost somebody to COVID, there's some survivor's guilt. Like, why did they have to die? But I didn't. Or um, maybe somebody had terminal cancer Mm -hmm. and they weren't able to be with that person because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh. And so I think that's just a a different layer to it. Yeah. I think this has been the worst time to die in America, probably. You know, Um, are you guys, what are you, what are you seeing as far as, for instance, my uh, my best friend has uh, his dad died of cancer. Just uh, it was probably the summer, and now he found out that his mom also has a oh, different type of cancer. Shit. And so I, they didn't have a funeral. Like right. I, I can't go. I said I'm I'm coming up, and he goes honestly no. Like my parents, you know his his in laws had a really. The strict policy, you know, he goes, if you come up, then we got to quarantine and then we can't, the kids and and all this. So you can't even support people physically. Yep. What are you, what are you seeing? That's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm seeing people who, you know, their parents are dying seven states away and they weren't there at the end. They couldn't go out there for a funeral. I mean, luckily with the, you know, with the vaccine taking over a little bit, maybe we're getting beyond that. Maybe. But that all is complicating the grief process in terms of you can't have closure. You can't sit with them. You can't hug people. So it's like you're in a holding pattern. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think back to like hospice. Can you imagine if you have a loved one in hospice and you can't be there with them and go through that process? I mean, that is such a sacred, beautiful process. I couldn't even imagine that. Or I think of the people who who did have loved ones in like nursing homes and nursing homes weren't allowing... you know, people to come in now, you know, I'm not, a lot of nursing home caregivers are phenomenal. Some of them were out partying every night Mm -hmm. and I saw family members just really frustrated. Right. I heard that a lot too. And, and I don't blame them. And I'm glad I didn't have to go through that because you, we've talked in the past episodes about how cranky I get. Mm -hmm. I would have been like, you can all get the F out of my way because this is happening. Right. It's really, really happening. I'm Mm -hmm. sitting with my mom. I'm sitting with my dad. Mm -hmm. And if I have to bust them out the window, I'll I'll freaking bust them out the window. Mm Yeah. Yep. So then I'd visit you in jail and it would be fun. Yeah. Which is orange is not a good color for me. So hopefully it's in a different County (laughs) that has better colors. I can rock gray a little bit. all about the colors. Oh my gosh. But don't you find too, that people like after they're grieving, they feel a lot of guilt later. Like if, oh my gosh, they catch themselves laughing or what if they had yes. sex and they had a great orgasm? They're like, oh, I feel horrible. I shouldn't yeah. be happy. How can I smile? And yeah, 
you know, especially if it's, you know, I've seen it when it's really close to the, to the loss, mm. you know, it's like, I should be sad. I should be sad 24 seven for at least what a couple of years. Right. <laughs> and you it's know, and it's the next day and you're laughing. And, um, I remember at my grandfather's funeral, we, we told just great stories about my grandfather and we were all just laughing and, I, I shouldn't say all of us. My family's table was mm-hmm. just laughing. And then there was some other stoic tables who were like looking at us, mm-hmm. like, how can you be laughing? And I kind of wanted to say, did you even know Grandpa Frank? Like right. that dude was hilarious. Exactly. Was and goofy. what a way to honor him is to remember yeah. his sense of humor. And I remember, I think it was my older brother said, um, you know, if Grandpa Frank were here, he'd want to be sitting with us. Yes. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I always remember Emery, my father-in-law, died when he was 97. And I would always, you know, every single person he ever knew already died. Right. So I'd be like, hey, dad, Joe, whatever, is dying. You going to the funeral? Nope. What do you mean, nope? Nope. Well, why not? (laughs) They ain't going to mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It's like a standing joke between (laughs) us, you know, all the time. But the memories that I have are just like priceless. And I think that that is a gift to keep sharing that with each other. That's how we keep those people alive. We talk about um, with my grandpa, one Easter, we were up in Canada for Easter and um, we always stayed in his trailer and it had three bedrooms. So everybody was just squished in everywhere. And there was one bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I went in to brush my teeth one day and I open it up and my grandpa Frank is asleep on the toilet, right? Because it's sunrise service. (laughs) He's asleep on the toilet. I'm like 10 and I'm like, <laughs> and all the, we just laughed so hard. Like, mom, go wake up grandpa. Like, uh, I want nothing to do with that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so funny. Oh, he was a hoot. Yes. So what about in terms of like when the griever is getting hypersensitive? What do you think about that? <laughs> I wish Jim were here to talk to this because when Melissa passed away and his wife was a total freaking basket case, mm-hmm. I was. I was out of my head. And um, actually, during that time, I had a client die of a possible suicide. And mm-hmm. that threw me over the edge. It was like a couple of months later. And I'm like, God, you're not funny at this point. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in our bedroom and I was just bawling uncontrollably. And uh, I should also mention Melissa was also a therapist mm-hmm. um, in Sioux Falls. And he goes, babe, don't take this the wrong way, but you're really struggling. I think you should go talk to somebody. And I went, oh, really? You think that's a good idea? What, should, should I talk to Melissa? That's who I always <laughs> talk to about this shit. Who do you think I should? And he's like, oh, okay. He's mm. like, probably not her. Yes. But, and then after I calmed down, I did reach out to, um, actually it was one of my former supervisors from like for licensure. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I'm losing my shit. I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. 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 And you do become, I think some people do become hypersensitive yeah. in terms of that person didn't give me what I need. They don't care about me. They don't understand me. And it's like, most people are just struggling. Like, I don't want to say something wrong. Right. You and it, and it's such a helpless, I, I'm speaking for Jim, but I think in that situation, he just felt so helpless. He did not, he's a fixer. He mm-hmm. didn't want me feeling like shit. Right. And yet there was, you know, if he would say, what do you need? Mm-hmm. I literally would look him in the eyes and I would say, um, could you bring her back please? Mm. And he's like, and he's carrying no. the custard going, well, this too. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Your dad said I should try Culver's. <laughs> But yeah, it is. So just be patient, you know, and if you are the one grieving, just be aware, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you can, I mean, I, I did a lot of apologizing, Mm -hmm. not, not for how I was feeling, but just, he didn't need to be punished either. Right. Yeah. My wife's mother died when she was in freshman or junior or freshman or sophomore year of college. Mm. Um, And she remembers the, the phenomenon of people she would watch people see her in like the grocery store and then turn around because they didn't know Mm. what to say. Yes. Right. And so then she feels like ostracized because someone else that she was close to died. Like what, I mean, it's, it's, so I guess what, what do, what do you say? I grief and or death, I suppose is not. And I know we're talking about all kinds of grief, but it's not, I I've had some couple grandparents die, but it was a a very planned thing, you know, not planned, but it was expected or whatever. Um, this is not, uh, a topic or an experience that I have that I'm comfortable with or that I have a lot of experience with what, what is, what does a guy like me do? Well, I think it's important to get comfortable with your discomfort. Mm -hmm. Like just get down with it, (laughs) you know? Um, cause there's, I don't think you can make this topic comfortable. Right. 
I just don't. No. And before COVID, I mean, the very best thing is to say, can I give you a hug? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that physical comfort is really important, but just saying, you know, I'm thinking about you. I'm holding you in my heart. If you're Christian, I'm praying for you rather than, you know, you can have another kid. It's fine. Yeah. Um, At least they went peacefully. At least they went quickly. At least they weren't, you know, out of high school yet. They're young still. You know, you can have another one, that kind of stuff. Those are the no-nos. You don't ever say those things. I mean, you still have your father. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, less and, is and I think it's important to point out that when people say that, it's because we don't we don't know right, what to right. say. It's very right? important to point that out. Um, yes. with, this is tangentially connected. But when I was I was a stay at home dad for the first year um, and I got really hypersensitive to like the daddy daycare mm. uh, mentality. But then you you realize, like, I'm not going to cuss my grandma out because she said, how's daddy dare? Are you being how's Mr. Mom going? Right. Right. And it's like, well, you can go to hell because I'm actually a father. <laughs> And that is an integral part of this family right. and yeah. go suck an egg. Uh, yeah. So, but then grandma. you, grandma, yeah. but then you realize she doesn't, she doesn't have the words. Like right. she doesn't, she doesn't know what to say and she's not being ignorant mm-hmm. on purpose. And so when we talk about this type of stuff, it's, it's not that we, we think we're trying to help. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, so to be, I guess, to be conscious of what you are saying, choose those words. And that's probably why nothing gets said, right? You right. turn around in the grocery and store because what yeah, the hell right. am I going to say? So I think for the grieving person, I always encourage people, like if they're in my office and they're like, you're not even going to freaking believe what somebody said to me this week, mm-hmm. Becky. And, and we'll rant and rave for a second. And then we go, okay, what do you think they meant by that? Mm-hmm. And then it's always, you know, I know they're just, they know I'm hurting. I know they're just trying to be, you know, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Because most people are very kind. They're right. not trying to make it worse. So yeah. that's what I would recommend. Too. And a lot of them are asking, I mean, I think it's good to ask, what can I do? What yeah. can I do to help you give them something to do? Don't be the martyr and be like nothing. I've got, you know, frozen food from now until next Tuesday. No. So, you know, what would really help me a week from now. Just come see me. Let's have coffee. Yeah. You know, ask for what you need, because I think it's a relief to a lot of other people. Oh, thank God there's something I can do. Right. And I think you bring up a good point about uh, in next week. Because a lot of times everybody falls off the face of the earth after the funeral. And then that's where the real loneliness steps in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, reach out to your your grieving friend or family member and and just say, hey, do you want to catch coffee? Mm -hmm. You know, I can bring it to you. We can go out. Like, what do you prefer? Mm -hmm. And just check in on them. Absolutely. And to keep doing that on a regular basis. Yeah. 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 I think so. So kind of going along with um, the COVID, we've, we've seen a bit more suicide. Mm. We have seen more suicide. I mean, not just because of mental health issues, but I think that, you know, farmers in the last year have had some economic problems before they knew they were going to get assistance. And the numbers, especially in rural America, have gone up. They really have. And that's why, a little side note here, it's so important that health insurance companies continue to cover telehealth. Mm -hmm. Because our farmers, I don't know about you, but I've had a huge uptick in farmers for clients Mm -hmm. because they can pull, you know, stop the tractor. And we literally have an hour long session. They don't have to drive an hour and a half into town for an hour session and then an hour and a half back or wherever they might be from. Exactly. And they don't have to go in the waiting room where they know Joe and Susan and they're not about that exposure. No. So it's just, I have seen a lot more farmers and I'm so grateful for that, Mm -hmm. that they are utilizing that. Right. But the suicide, when you have something like suicide or you have something like a tragic accident and untimely death, that's complicated grief. Yeah. And so I think that adds to the whole process because how do you ever make sense of a suicide? I mean, you're going to, you know what I mean? It adds a whole other layer of questioning. Yeah. Oh, I sat back for a long time winning, saying to myself, you're a therapist Mm -hmm. and you didn't know your best friend was suicidal. Right. You know, and cognitively, rationally, I knew that she hid it from everybody. Mm -hmm. But still, there was that part of me that was like, come on. Right. Oh, God. And can you imagine? I mean, that's horrible enough. But to be the parent of someone. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, talk about prolonging the process and trying to make sense of things. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you say to people who are like, well, you know, Susie's room is now, you know, you've had it five years and you still have everything the same, you know, don't you think it's about time to like turn it into a den or a game room or, you know, what do you say to people like that? Well, my opinion would be says who, Mm -hmm. you know, I, 
if they need to keep it that way. I don't know. I guess I don't ever want to touch a parent's grief. Mm-hmm. As long as they're functioning day to day, you know, if they're not going to work because they're just sitting in Susie's room all day long, mm-hmm. well, then that's different. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you. Leave their shit alone. You know, yeah. I think that people know intuitively when they're ready to give things up. And, yeah. you know, now with the beauty of technology, you can take pictures of their belongings and yeah. you can be like, hey, maybe a scrapbook of these things. They're going to have the same sentimental value, whether they're physically there or you have pictures of them. Yep. Gives them more options, but don't yep. pressure them. No, just in their own time. And everybody's timeline is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a quote, um, John Edward, you know, the big psychic medium mm-hmm. guy, I, I was so him. into him back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I was listening, watching a show one time and he said, grief is like the Grand Canyon. You can't ignore it because you'll basically trip, fall into it and die. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't live there. Right. It's not made for living there. So you just have to visit it and sometimes be overwhelmed by its enormity mm-hmm. and then walk away. Yeah. And I really trust the wisdom of most, most humans. If they're brave enough at that point to start being willing to feel those feelings, they know intuitively what they need. Yeah. Sometimes all they really need as a therapist or a friend is you just witness it with them. Exactly. Just hold their hands, sit next to them. Sit next to them and and just sit there. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they feel like cussing about the person that's gone, well, then you cuss about them. If you want to cry, you cry. If you want to make jokes, you make jokes. Just follow Follow the lead. Exactly. Yeah. I think one of the things that David Kessler recommends is that for some people who just want to deny grief and like, oh, I'll deal with it later. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to do it to really structure a time and a place like, okay, on every day at this time in the morning, I'm going to think about this person. I'm Mm -hmm. going to remember this person. I may laugh. I may cry, whatever it is, but I'm going to feel the feelings. Right. Yeah. And, and again, when we talk about grief, the goal of grief is not to work through it, right? You mm-hmm. never or get over it. Right. You're never going to get over it. Um, cause whoever, if you're grieving this, if you're grieving like this, they meant something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the goal I think is to, if we use the Grand Canyon anal- analogy to be able to go there and go, wow. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's it. Yes. You know, so you're remembering them, you know, now when I think back on my friend, Melissa, I can remember, you know, we were in Minot one time visiting her because her husband traveled all over and we were in a Target just getting like, just junk food. That's what we do. We just mm-hmm. eat junk food. And from like four rows over, I hear, Hey, Becky, Becky cook, um, you know, those panty liners you wanted that go with thong underwear <laughs> and she's screaming it. And oh. I'm like, Woman, I'm from around here. Like, I could know people in the store. And yeah, and she was just wacky like that. Yes. And so that, to me, is the goal, is to remember them with with a sense of humor, with love, with joy, rather than that horrible freaking pain that just kills you for a long freaking time. For a long freaking time. A long time. And that is what, I mean, when I say I talk to them every single day, I remember so much that they taught me and jokes that yes. they made. It's just beautiful. What I thought was really wackadoodle, um, because I had never experienced intense grief until Melissa passed, was um, for the first few years, February 18th, like I would just enter this funk and I'd be like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Like it was just Valentine's Day. Like, and then I'd be like, oh, you know, even my, my family would notice it. And my oldest Allison would say it's, and she and Melissa had a special bond because they were both redheads. Um, and she would say, mom, it's, you know, we're getting about that time. And yeah. I'd go, so then we'd go eat dessert first. Uh-huh. Cause that was, it used to drive me nuts as a mom. Melissa didn't have children. And so we'd go to, she loved going to pizza ranch. And so we'd go to pizza ranch and then she and Allison would go and get dessert pizza. Mm-hmm. And as a mom of like a five, six year old, I'd yes. be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, no, she needs to have the nutritious chicken fries. Yeah. <laughs> And the homemade mashed potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) And that was their big thing. So that's what Allison and I started doing on Mm -hmm. on the anniversary of her passing is we'd go and just eat some dessert. And that's a good point is any anniversary, whether it's the anniversary that they pass or the wedding anniversary Mm -hmm. or holidays, you know what that's going to be, especially in that first year. Yep. So really being mindful, you know, Brody, you asked what else you can do. Be mindful of those anniversaries and be like, hey, I know this is going to be a tough day. What can I do to help them on this day? Yeah. What kind of new ritual could we establish? Hey, on this anniversary, we are going to go eat dessert or we are going to do something entirely different. Or sometimes people want to do 
a tradition that honors that person. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe you always listen to this one song while you decorated the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And so every year you decorate the Christmas tree and you listen to that song or whatever it might right. be or serve the dish or mm-hmm. yeah, play the game. Yeah. So what do you know about grief triggers? Oh, I, here's, I'll never forget this. Um, a young person at Northern taught me this. So, um, they had a, they had a parent dying of cancer and they, the student in their 18, 19 year old wisdom had prepared themselves so much for the year of firsts. Mm -hmm. And then she walked home on a break and there was a can of pledge. Mm Mm-hmm polish sitting on the table. And she just lost her shit because she said it reminded her of all the great talks she would have with her dad mm. while she'd be dusting. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've always remembered that and prepared people to say, you know, this trigger might come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and you can prepare for Christmas and you can prepare for the anniversary and you can prepare for the birthday. But how do you prepare for those random things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things David Kessler says is like when you lose your crap like that and you just feel overwhelmed by grief and you just are sobbing that ugly, you know, that kind of thing to reframe that as this is a burst of love for this person that that I am overwhelmed with my memory and my love for them. Yes. And that it's perfectly okay to express that whenever and wherever it just comes over you. Yeah. I was in Sioux Falls for a doctor's appointment a couple of years after she had passed. And um, I, I didn't grow up going to Sioux Falls all the time. And so I don't know it, like some people around here know it. And so I was going to my doctor's appointment and I was at a stoplight and I looked to my left and it was the freaking cemetery she mm. was buried in. And I'm like, <gasps> uh. and then, and I wish I would have known what you just said, cause that would have been good. But I'm just like, that was then, this is now you're fine. Yes. You get to go talk about your thyroid, which you love to do. Uh. Yes. But it was just like, yes. out of all the stoplights, out of all the cemeteries, why did it have to be that one? Here's your yeah. trigger. And then my other friend, Karen, and I were like, you know what? We're going to go get tattoos right now. We're going to go get tattoos. We always said we were going to get tattoos with her. And Karen is not a tattoo person. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, let's 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 just think on that for mm-hmm. a little bit. That's pretty permanent. Yeah. So we never did. Yeah. Well, I got five tattoos after that. But yep. Karen's never got one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, when you said set ta- uh, not tattoos, but cemeteries, I remember Emery going, okay, see that? I go, yeah. It's a cemetery. Yes, dad, I know. There's a fence all around the cemetery. I go, I know. You know why? Nope. People are dying to get in. <laughs> Every time we went by a I cemetery. I <laughs> met that man. I really do. You have the best stories about him. Every single time. Yeah. One of the things I learned too is, um, if somebody does have somebody who passes away and you can tell me what you think of this, Mm -hmm. um, but instead of bringing like a casserole or a dessert or whatever, bring over some paper plates, some napkins, some toilet paper, some paper towels, because they're probably going to have a ton of people going in and out. So let's talk about something I'd like to do right now, being in your presence, Fran, and that's using substances to cope. (laughs) 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 Is that appropriate for grief ever? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is a common thing, isn't it? It actually is a common thing. It drives me crazy. Um, You know, when I worked at Northern, we'd have students that um, sometimes passed away from alcohol-related things. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, we're going to have a kegger in so-and-so's memory. And I'm like, are you Mm -hmm. freaking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, why? And so then you have to talk about, just like we said with antidepressants, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just putting the grief at bay. Right. And then when the alcohol's gone, when the pot's gone, whatever it is, the crack cocaine, the heroin, I don't know. Yeah. Um, when all of that's gone, the grief is going to come back. And, you know, I have have had people that have lost someone. All of a sudden they take up gambling. Now they're doing the little slot machines, you know, or mm-hmm. they're doing excessive spending with Amazon. And it's like, it is. It's just any way to numb the pain. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so temporary. Right. So one thing, you know, when we talk about the fifth stage of grief, I think it was fifth meaning. The meaning. Yes. I love this one. And when I get to do this with people, one thing I think is fascinating, I always ask my clients, okay, this might sound do-do-do-do-do-do-do or whatever. Has anything happened to you where you felt you got a sign or the person visited you? Yeah. Invariably. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I don't want to tell anybody this because they're going to think I'm crazy. Right. Experience after experience after experience. And I am not there to judge whether it's real or not. Yeah. I can tell you when my husband lost his dad, 
He mm-hmm. woke me up and he said, my dad just said goodbye. And one Ooh. minute later, the phone rang and he passed. Wow. So that, you know, I think I would like to think that uh, energy doesn't die in right. some way, shape or form. The people that pass still exist. And I think yeah. if that is true, it means a lot for them to be able to reach out to those that are grieving and say, hey, I'm still around. It's okay. It's cool. Yep. You know, and if you are gifted with that, it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful gift. It is a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm a little crazy. I believe in that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool when that can happen. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one way to help people have meaning in this, that yeah. this is a temporary kind of separation. And don't think that you're the only one that thinks this. Cause I, I don't think I've ever, it's very rarely I have the client say, no, that doesn't happen. They just die and they're gone. Right. Most people are like, yeah. And then I started seeing pennies all over. And cause my mom always told me when I pass and you see a penny, that's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there were pennies all over. And could we say, yep, you're looking for them. So that's why you're finding them. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Who but knows? it still feels good. Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of people define who they are in relationship to the other person. Yeah. Like, okay, if I'm not a mother anymore, who am I? Right. Or I'm not a wife anymore. Who am I? So helping them find meaning and who am I now? How yeah. am I going to redefine who I am? I remember when my grandpa passed away, um, my grandma passed away before I was born. And then my grandpa passed away when I was in my twenties. And I remember my mom saying, I'm an orphan now. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's gotta be a really weird place to be. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about people like crazy people like me <clears throat> yeah. that still talk to people that they think might be on the other side? What do you think about that? Can't hurt anything, can it? I don't, I mean, not unless you're not talking to anybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're talking about extremes. No, it is my firm belief. And I really think that God does this for us. That's just my religious belief. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't God give us the comfort of our loved ones as guardian angels? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he? I know when my grandpa passed away, um, I had gone up there and I, I didn't make it in time to say goodbye. And so again, we're staying in grandpa's trailer Mm -hmm. and it's my mom and I and my cousin. And in the middle of the night, I can still remember it vividly, both my grandpa and my grandma standing at the foot of my bed and my grandpa saying to me, I know you didn't get to say goodbye, so we can do it now. Mm. And my grandma, who again died before I was born, she was saying, I'm so glad I get the chance to say, I love you. You're a beautiful, beautiful woman. And you need to get that room ready for the baby. <gasps> and I woke up, freaked out, mm. went and crawled in bed with my mom. Now, how old were you? 23 or 24. Wow. So at this point, contemplating leaving my husband because mm. we weren't getting along. Mm-hmm. And so get the room ready for the baby. Mm. A month later, I found out I was pregnant. <gasps> Shut up. A month oh. later. One, and I can tell this story on the podcast because mm-hmm. I've told it a million times. Yeah. One drunken night at the zoo. Ugh. Didn't take my birth control. See, and it was destiny. Shut, destiny free. Shut down the zoo. Yeah. Even though I was thinking about leaving Jim, he looked pretty darn attractive that night. I guess. And then that's what tequila will do. That's what tequila will do. Oh, or very right. nice whiskey. <laughs> and so, and, and I really do. I think that was God's way of saying, um, here's Allison and mm. you guys are going to work on your marriage now. Mm. So yeah. I'm not kidding you. It was a month later, Friday. No, it was two months later, two months later, Friday, the 13th. Mm. Yeah. December 13th, 1996. So who knows if these things are true or right. not? There is a Netflix series called Surviving Death. Oh, I gotta watch that. Yeah, yes. and it's pretty interesting. And one of the ones that I loved was a hospice doctor that would go and visit people who are in hospice. Yep. Invariably, they would have visits or they would have visions of crossing over. Yeah. And so he's documenting all of this. He's a very, like, um, he's not a do-do-do-do guy at all, but he's like, I don't know how science can ignore time after time after time of these the experiences. Yeah. yeah. I know. So Melissa and I met through grad school and then she took a job as the executive director of Safe Harbor. And mm-hmm. so she's the one that got me really involved in Safe Harbor. And so when they'd have their Mardi Gras, she and I, it was like um, two girls getting ready for prom again. You know, we'd spend the whole day getting ready and then we'd go to Mardi Gras. And mm-hmm. So she dies February 18th and Mardi Gras coming up a couple of weeks later. And Jim's like, are we going? And I said, I don't know if I can. I'm mm-hmm. going to be real honest. And he's like, well, I think you should because it was like your thing. Mm-hmm. So we go and whatever. And I get a little competitive at those things. So I'm throwing tickets in the bowls because I want to win shit because I like to win shit. And I win this self-care basket. Mm-hmm. And so 
one of the things she always said was life is short, eat dessert first, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going through and I've got this lovely little platter and I've got a massage gift certificate and I pull out a set of coasters that say life is short, eat dessert first. <gasps> oh. And Jim said all the color drained out of my face and he goes, what's wrong? And I showed him and he went, my husband who very rarely swears went, holy fuck. Wow. And I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So who knows? I, I don't know. Is it a coincidence? Maybe. But to ha- I mean, that was what she always said. And that mm-hmm. was in my freaking basket. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it too. Why I not? Do. Why not? Why not? I know it. So what do you see in your practice about like how men grieve versus how women grieve? Oh, I think women are much, I think we're allowed to be much more open with our grief. And I think men are much more stoic in some ways. Um, but I think the way, and please chime in Brody and let me know what you think about this, but I watch when my father-in-law passed away, I watched how my husband grieved and, um, we had some friends over and our friend had also lost his dad early on. And he said, dude, if you ever want to catch a beer, just let me know. Mm-hmm. And his wife was just mortified. She's like, I can't believe that's what you're saying to him and his father. And I said, if I'm speaking dude, you know, fluently right here, mm-hmm. I think what he just said was, I know what it's like to lose a dad and I know it sucks. So if you ever need somebody to sit with you, I can be the person to sit with you. Right. And he's like, yeah, that's totally what I meant. Mm-hmm. But it came out as, hey, dude, if you ever want to go grab a beer, let me know. Yeah. It's also, I think it, it's doing things. I think women have an easier time sitting down and talking face to face about your feelings. Yeah. Um, when I used to work with, uh, at risk youth, I would, especially the young men, I would take them. We had a, like a company car and say, come out. We'll, we're going to do a walk through the car. I got way more out of them mm-hmm. about their, their thoughts and their feelings and their experiences when we were doing something together, because okay. it's not at, you don't have to be as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't have to look somebody in the face and say, I'm really struggling or I'm really sad or, or whatever. So let's go shoot hoops or let's mm-hmm. go exactly. fishing or exactly. yeah, let's go detail the car. Yep. Cause then you're doing something. You don't have to, you can still feel like you can talk to them, but you don't have to be as v- open up as to the physicality of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. You don't have to look right. them in the eye and say these vulnerable things. Yeah. And if you are a dude that does want to open up and say those vulnerable things, please do it. Yes. You know, that's really important um, to do that. But I do, I think women are just like Brody said, we're, we can sit down and we can just talk about how much it hurts mm-hmm. and how painful it is and, and all of that. I think the problem though, in marriages, at least the ones I've seen is that a lot of the men throw themselves, then you talk about doing into work, oh, yeah. right? So, they're so then it becomes work. avoidance. Yes. It becomes avoidance. She wants to talk. She's like, well, he's obviously dealing with it fine because he's working 80 hours a week right? and there's no connection there. Yep. But one of the stats I was really surprised about and happy to see mm-hmm. is that I always thought that that really increased divorce. And the stats, especially if it's a loss of a child. Yes. Especially the loss of a child. So in it, thank you for clarifying that in 2006, a study by compassionate friends took place and basically parental divorce following the death of a child was only around 16%. And I thought it was way higher than that. I would think it would be higher too. So, I mean, as clinicians, I think it is really important that we talk about how people grieve differently Yeah, and what, how can we compromise? How can we bring it more to the middle? Right. And I think that, you know, assertive communication, mm-hmm. you know, it might look like I'm doing okay, but I just need to go, you know, drive around for an hour because I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. I also hear men say that they don't want to grieve openly in front of their wives because they don't want to put that hurt on them. Mm-hmm. Like they feel they have to be the rock and the strong person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, say, no, you get to, you get to hurt too. Like, Mm -hmm. that's okay. And my guess is your wife can take it. And the wife is like, yes, I would actually like that. Mm -hmm. You know, let me know if you need to break down because I want to be there for you too. That makes me think of the the book. I read the book and I saw the movie. The book is much better and heartbreaking, beautiful boy where his son, he's, he's a professional writer and his son ends up with a meth addiction. And this father talk about ongoing grieving. That's another form of grief when your children have addictions of some kind. And he said, I was waiting for my son and he came up to me like, and he just looked like a ghost, like his clothes were hanging on him. And I never knew if he'd show or not show the father ended up literally having a brain aneurysm that almost killed him. Wow! So not dealing with grief literally can kill you. It can. Yeah. You know, so realizing how it impacts people physically as well as emotionally is important too. That's a very good point. Yeah. 
So I want to read this quote to you because I think this is hopeful and beautiful. David Kessler says, our soul and our psyche know how to grieve. We don't need to learn it. It's not a technique. What we need to learn is not to avoid it. I love that. Yeah. What about our tips to help people who are grieving? What should we recommend for people that are suffering from grief of any kind? So you had just brought up that it can be very physical. Mm -hmm. And so some different ways that I know you and I both recommend to our clients, um, grief yoga. That's one I hadn't heard of before. I had never heard of that before. Yeah, but I love it. And I have no doubt we have so many amazing yogis here in town. Mm -hmm. Um, and probably in the town that you might live in, Mm -hmm. um, that reach out and just see if they do this Reiki, which is a wonderful form of energy work. It's R E I K I Mm -hmm. acupuncture, which is along the similar lines of Reiki. And then You'll never have to twist my arm to get a good massage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, grief support groups aren't for everybody, but now that almost everything is online, some people feel more comfortable doing it that way. That can be really helpful. Yeah. Also, after someone has grieved, like they've been through it a couple of years, it may be really therapeutic for them to reach out and kind of mentor somebody else who's going through grief. I think that's a great idea. Especially, I think, too... If it's something you have in common, like when you talk about suicide or infant loss, mm-hmm. um, some of those more specific deaths, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody that's been through it can definitely relate better than somebody who hasn't. Right. Two of the things that I often recommend, and I love these, I love these. One is take up something new, try a different skill, learn a different language, do something you've never done before. Um, and one of the things David Kessler says is, that creativity is incompatible with grief. Oh, I like that. And I didn't know that. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. The other thing that I think is very therapeutic, getting out all the pictures of that person, doing a scrapbook about that person Mm -hmm. and writing down these memories. Like, you know, I love story worth, right? That's my thing. In my story worth, I have many memories of Emery and my dad and my stepdad. And it's like, that's what I'm going to give to my children. And then it lives on. It lives on. I know. I love that. Super awesome. Yep. I love that. And I encourage you, if you need someone to just sit and honor your grief, that's what we do. I mean, it can be really helpful to just have someone witness what you're going through. Yeah. A lot of people say, you know, what good is therapy? It's not going to bring the person back. And Mm -hmm. nope, it's not. We're good, but we're not that good. Uh Um, But what we will do is create a non-judgmental space for you where whatever you need, we can typically help with. Right. So we're the shrinks. And that's a wrap. 